Good morning and welcome to Inside Maine. This is Angus King and we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving and thanks. And one of the areas in Maine where thanks are due is to our veterans. Maine had one of the highest percentage of veterans in the country and they served our country, of course, in uniform, but they continue to serve today, and that's something of what we're going to be talking about. Our first guest is Carmine Pecorelli, and Carmine lives in Belfast. He is, I hesitate to say Mr. Veteran in Maine because there's so many people that are outstanding in this community, but certainly Carmine is one of the best, and he served in World War II went to the Citadel in South Carolina at age 25 after the war, then was an active reservist in both the Korean and Vietnam Wars. And actually, he was a 2017 alumnus of the year from uh, from the Citadel, and he's been active in so many areas. Carmine, let's start with the troop greeters. I ran into you the other day in Bangor when they opened the Troop Greeter Museum. Talk about that experience and, and what it's like to be there when those troops come through that airport. Thank you, Senator. My experience with the uh, troop greeters came about when I met up at the airport. I was visiting the Bangor Airport, and I saw a a sign that said, Maine Troop Greeters. And uh, I went up to where uh, their offices and and now their museum is, and I said, this is wonderful. Tell me about this. And they said... They explained that they greet the troops coming and going, that it was started by two World War I veterans, and uh, they made history by doing this. And uh, I told them I wanted to join and be involved. So I would get calls telling me when the planes were going to be landing and uh, to be on the scene. And, and, and uh, the day my... that I was there, they said the plane is landing, the troops are disembarking, and we, we would stand in line to shake hands with them. And uh, there was a friend of mine who's a veteran of World War II, passed away, very active with the troop greeters. And I was talking to him, and suddenly I looked up, and my expression on my face changed. And he said, what's the matter, Carmine? And I said, it's my son. He's coming down here. Oh, wow. And so I did my son, and his name was Stephen, he was on his way to Iraq. He volunteered for two tours. My son is the real hero. He came home with two bronze stars, Senator. Wow. That's amazing, and to have seen him must have been an incredible experience. I was amazed that when we were up at the uh, dedication of the museum a couple of weeks ago, the troop greeters have greeted a million and a half American soldiers going back to 1991. And I keep running into people whenever I run into somebody in uniform and tell them I'm from Maine, nine times out of ten they say, Bangor, Maine. Often they mispronounce it. They say Banger, but uh, they say that's that's where I came through, and they were the nicest people, and they shook my hand and welcomed me home. I mean, this has become a kind of signature of Maine, which is a great thing for people all across the country. Anybody who's in Bangor, if you stop by the airport, you don't have to go through security to go to the museum, and it has all of these challenge coins that the soldiers and, and sailors have left, an airman and memorabilia, boots, and everything. I mean, it's absolutely fascinating and, and really well done. Yeah, and, and I also am impressed with the regimental 
uh, regimental badges that they leave behind and their, the divisions they were with, or the Marine Corps unit that they were with. And that museum is, is first class. It is first class. Now, it's first Car- class. Carmine, when you got the uh, Alumnus of the Year Award from the Citadel this year, somebody asked you about it, and you said, I believe that life is for service. That's tell me, correct. Tell me what you meant there. Well, Senator, I was a high school dropout. I was born in Jersey City. The Depression was on. I I graduated the eighth grade, and I wanted to work and help support the family. When I enlisted in the Navy, my father had a sign for me. I was 17, and I did that. I had to enlist, Senator. I didn't want to be drafted as a tribute to my grandparents who migrated to America from Italy. Mm -hmm. And Grandma, who couldn't read or write Italian, We'd ask her, how come you you came to America from Italy? And she would describe what the conditions were like in Italy. And I said, well, what do we have here that you didn't have in in Italy? And in Italian, she said, we have the liberty to go where we want to go. And then she'd say, Dio benedice America. And that is God bless American and Italian. Wow. So I heard that <laughs> from her for many, many years. Anyway, a Navy lieutenant, prior to my uh, discharge, I was on what they call a minority cruise. I served on a minesweeper in the North Atlantic and the night fighter squadron as a radar man. And I got confidence in myself that I could be educated. I could be a leader. And he told me that I should get a college degree under the GI Bill, and I told him his name was Lieutenant Mac DeLenz. By the way, I think the GI Bill is one of the greatest programs this, this country ever did. It, it is, and, and I've met soldiers that served in, in the Black Watch Regiment, in regiments in France, and I told them, do you have a GI Bill? And they said, no, but that's one of the greatest things that you Americans have done for your veterans. And it is, and I was able to go to college. I was able to go to the Citadel, which was a dream. But before that, I had to start the ninth grade when I was 21. Wow, but you did it. Yes, I did it. I went to a private boarding school in Scarborough, New York. It was called Scarborough School. It was started by the Vanderlip family. They estate, and it went from kindergarten to the 12th grade. And they had two entrances to the auditorium. You had to go to the auditorium every morning for scripture reading and then uh, making decisions on uh, things that the school would like to do to become part of the community. Over one door, it said, as you went in, manners maketh the man. Hmm. And on the other door, it said, life is for service. So those two phrases have been embedded in me since 1946. And you're, and you're still at it. I heard that uh, even though you're in your 90s, you offered to donate a kidney to a, to a friend uh, recently. Yes, that's a, he's a Citadel graduate, and I have a living will. And I thought, why should I wait until I'm in the box? Why can't I give it to him now? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I met uh, I met another one of your uh, colleagues from World War II, uh, actually right after being up in Bangor at the opening of the Troop Readers Museum, Charles Shea. 
up at the Penobscot Reservation. He was at D-Day. He was on Omaha Beach at 8 o'clock in the morning, June 6, 1944. And he's still, I said to somebody, my ambition in life is to have a grip as strong as him when I'm 95. Man, he, uh, but it, 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 it's so impressive and so inspiring. And as you know, we've got lots of veterans in Maine. You've been involved in uh, Reads Across America and uh, right. the Troop yes, Readers and various uh, veterans' issues. And it's that's one of the uh, special things about our state. Yes. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. I have to tell you about Morrow Worcester. He's the man. That started, one man started Wreaths Across America 27 years ago. Yeah, and it's unbelievable. I, I was down there, uh, I think it was two years ago when they were putting the wreaths out. I mean, it was like a military operation itself, getting all those wreaths distributed at Arlington. That's correct. And, and the time you were there, I was one of the parade marshals okay. uh, for the family. But they're a lovely family. And see, here again, he was about 13 or 14 years old, and he was a newspaper delivery boy for the Bangor Daily News. There you go. And the publishers said, we're going to take all these young people down to Arlington. And when he went to Arlington and he saw it, it made an impact on his life. Isn't and that amazing? It is. And, you know, they've dedicated, I told him the story of the four chaplains that were aboard the Dorchester, and the ship was torpedoed, and the four chaplains one was a rabbi, one was a Roman Catholic priest, one was a Methodist minister, and one was a Dutch Reformed minister. And when all the life jackets were gone, and some of the young men would come by and say, oh, there are no more, they took their life jackets off, and they gave their life jackets so these other individuals would survive. And wow. the last thing that this one thing uh, observer was, the four of them were in the water, in the circle, locked arm in arm, singing songs of faith, praying, and issuing encouraging words, and they passed away. And so the Worcesters built the chapel in their honor. Oh, I've been—is that up at Morrill's Place up in Washington County? Yes, sir. Yeah, I've been there. It's quite amazing. And what he has done with that program now is— uh, of course, the most impressive thing about that is the guys who ride motorcycles to Washington in December. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and as we take the trip, and I know you're a biker, too. Oh, yeah. And I know, as we, as we go through the different states, the bikers from the... There, there was a time I counted over 100 bikes, which is fantastic. And you know, Research Force America is celebrated in 50 states and 24 foreign countries. And it shows what it all started with one person with a vision. Started and, with one person, yes, sir. And I, I took uh, two years ago. I took my whole staff here in Washington up on a Saturday on a bus to Gettysburg, and oh, wow. uh, that's a place that will change your life if you uh, walk so. walk that battlefield. Yes, and the other thing that changed my life and my two sons is I would take them to see the winter camping that they uh, had to stay in Pennsylvania. Oh, in Valley Forge. Forge, yes, sir. And then I would take them from Valley Forge and I'd bring them to the Delaware River and show them where they crossed the Delaware. On that December the 25th, that was the greatest Christmas present that was given to the United States is when George Washington took the troops over and they, um, they defeated, they caught the Hessians in bed. But because of that success, 
France decided historically to assist our American cause. Prior and, to that, and, uh, you and know, the, we, and the we French, were losing. That's Continental right. We're losing, but that that's the greatest Christmas present. And, and they didn't celebrate Christmas back in those days. They were more Puritans. And that's why they weren't intoxicated on Christmas Eve. <laughs> well, Car- <laughs> there's a bit of history I've, I've learned this morning. Carmine, listen, <laughs> I want to I thank you because your life has uh, embodied service to this country and the community and, and, uh, and Maine. And I think we have a lot to be thankful for. And i got to tell you, uh, I'm thankful uh, that we have guys like you who are serving our state all the way from World War II uh, until today. Thanks for everything, and uh, I look forward to seeing you uh, out on the road. Have a blessed Thanksgiving, sir. Yes, sir. You too. Welcome back to Inside Maine. This is Angus King. We're talking about Thanksgiving. That's what we're all doing and thinking about this week. And one of the things in Maine that we're thankful for is the incredible contributions of our veterans. We've got one of the highest percentage of veterans in the country, and they contribute in so many ways to the life of our state and our communities. And I've got with me uh, Deo Loria, who is a retired lieutenant colonel in the Army, but who is just leaving as the district service officer for the American Legion at Togus, which means he's been working with veterans and helping them with their claims and understanding the process. And that's a very important function. The Legion is a big help in this whole process. Deo, I think we're making some progress on veterans' issues in Maine. No, absolutely. And and it's important to note, I think, that uh, Maine has one of the best veteran centers in the country. I mean, I've traveled to conferences and things as a department service officer, and uh, it doesn't sound that way in some parts of the country. But here we are lucky. We work well with them. They are responsive. They pick up the phone. They answer within 24 hours. And uh, we do great things for uh, veterans here in Maine. Uh, A lot of people don't realize it, but Department of Veterans Affairs spends about $1 billion, with a B, dollars in Maine, about half in compensation and pension, and the other half in running these hospitals and outpatient clinics. So we really are lucky to have that partnership between the congressional offices, the VA, and the American Legion, and the other service offices, well, other military service organizations. Yeah, and people, we hear in the news, not so much lately, but about problems with the VA nationally and the Phoenix VA hospital and those kinds of things. We have had some issues at Togus, but by and large, and I've been going to Togus and working with the people over there since the mid-90s, I guess, my word, that's 20 years. But my sense is Togus does a pretty darn good job, and I don't think I've ever met a veteran. I've heard I've met veterans who said I had a hard time getting in, but once I got here, I got the best treatment I could get. Yeah, I'll just give you an anecdotal story. My um, my brother-in-law was trying to get in down in Massachusetts, and um, he was having a difficult time. So he came and stayed with us for a while and was able to get in through Maine. And then when he got back to Massachusetts, he was good to go. So um, it, that's I think that speaks volumes of the folks that are up here. A lot of the folks that do work in the VA are veterans. And, of course, everyone that's advocating for veterans, the American Legion, the Paralyzed Veterans, the State of Maine has Maine Veterans Services. I don't want to leave anybody out. I'm going to be in trouble. Paralyzed Veterans. DAV. DAV. They're all staffed, by, for the most part, by veterans. And it's, and it's basically veterans helping veterans. And we have a very strong relationship with your staff, obviously, and uh, that made that little trip to uh, Auburn happen and made made something happen for one of our veterans. So we 
we're we're very pleased, and it's and it's an easy place to work for veterans. Well, one thing a lot of people don't realize about a job like mine, they they see the news and they think about us down here in committee meetings and voting on bills and questioning witnesses and all that. But another part of the job is helping individual Maine people with interactions with the federal government, and quite often that's veterans, veterans, Social Security, Medicare, those kinds of issues. And in fact, I've got a guy in Maine, Teague Morris, who I know you know, who is pretty much full-time on veterans' issues, veterans and seniors, and I think there are people at Togus that think he works there because he's around so much. But yeah, Teague, uh, is an, Teague is an outstanding advocate, along with the other folks out of out of your offices and 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 the congressional offices throughout Maine. What's so nice about it is Maine is a big state. Obviously, you've ridden on a motorcycle uh, around it, yeah. um, and it's hard to get around sometimes, especially in the winter time. But we have organizations that are far flung throughout the state. Basically, you pick up the phone and you should be able to get a hold of somebody. I know Maine Department of Veterans Services just added some roving folks too, so that makes it even better. So they're actually, I think, they're going to the homes and actually sitting down with veterans and uh, filing and and spouses, widows, widowers filing claims. So. It's pretty robust, but, you know, no matter how much outreach we do, we just can't seem to get to everybody. We always hear that story when someone walks in the door, I never knew this. You know, we have presumptive conditions for Camp Lejeune in Orange and Vietnam, and I can't tell you how many people have exhausted their personal wealth uh, or or their money to go to their families on paying for things that they could receive assistance for through the VA, through their service office. One of the things I keep pounding on down here is, and I've said this at hearings with the Defense Department, I think the active duty military should spend as much time and money on helping people to transition back to civilian life as they do recruiting people into the service. Do you see what I mean? Correct. Those ACAP programs are critical. And unfortunately, at the timing when they're given, the last thing on some of the veterans' minds is these activities. So they wind up throwing the bag in the back of their car, unfortunately. And really, the best thing they can do is get out and connect with a military service organization. And obviously, I work for the American Legion. We're the largest veteran service organization. And uh, we have 172 posts throughout the state. First of all, it's camaraderie. You know, we have a shameful thing going on with the suicide rate. We just just got to reach out to these folks uh, who are coming out and transitioning. I mentioned to somebody one time that, you know, some people say, well, why do they have such trouble transitioning? Well, I did 30 years in the military. I went in 17. I never had to go on a job interview. (laughs) Believe it or not, (laughs) I just received orders, and it was like, report here on this day. And the guy was happy to see me. Here, you go into a place, and they kind of sizing you up and everything else. It's it's kind of an intimidating process because we get a little cocky, and we say, we know what we can do. And uh, we expect everybody else to know what we can do. So... We try to help veterans who are transitioning out. I know the the vet centers do it. Um, the American Legion does it. Try to get them hooked up with employment throughout the state of Maine. And it didn't hurt that Maine recently passed the um, exemption for military retirement pay either. So I've already sure. anecdotally met several people who came to Maine to take advantage of that and brought families and their military retirement pays. Well, you, you and I met down in Auburn about, I don't know, eight or nine months ago, and we talked about one of the issues was the shameful backlog of appeals in the in the uh, VA disability program. And, Absolutely. And uh, I got to say, uh, this is a bill that I put in and pushed and picked up. We got a lot of sponsors, and uh, darn if it didn't get passed, and I think you saw the president sign it, right? Absolutely, and I'm, and I'm looking forward to great things for that. It's really, in some cases, I hate to say it, it's almost a death sentence when you tell somebody they have to wait eight years for the Board of Veterans Appeals to make a decision. Right, it's ridiculous. Um, and if they're not married, there's no residual normally. If they are married, um, you know, 
um, it, it's it's hard for the for the spouse. And um, you know, I've done it for four years, and it's it, you know when you have to look at them across the desk and say, well, you've exhausted your first set of appeals. Now you have to go to the board. No, oh, by the way, you probably won't hear anything for four to eight years. So I'm looking forward. Of course, I've transitioned now to special projects here at the department, but. I'm looking forward to that process speeding up. If they could use Maine as a model, <laughs> yeah. they might be able to do a lot better. Well, listen, let me know how, how, you, how you see it working in practice, will you? And uh, if, if it's not Absolutely. being implemented properly, uh, I found there's, uh, you know, there are things that are hard to do down here, like amending the Constitution, <laughs> but poking the VA is something that I can do. Absolutely. So uh, keep and, in touch and on like that. like I said, we have a great group here, and uh, common sense prevails in Maine, I, I'm glad to say. Not so much the case. Sometimes we call outside the state. We literally, and I'm not bashing the VA, but we literally hate, we, there's a national work queue for VA now. We literally hate when our claims go outside the state of Maine because we know the quality of the folks that are taking care of veterans here in Maine, and we like to keep our claims and our appeals here in Maine. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's what we fight for all the time. Well, talk to me about the special challenges we have in Maine. The, one of the biggest is geography. Yeah, geography. Transportation is a big issue. A lot of veterans are getting older. I'm 63 years old. I was the last... That's, you're not um, older, man. Don't give me what's that. What's that? 63 is not old. Age for, I was born in 1955, and that's the last time you could be a Vietnam veteran is 1955. And time flies when you're having fun. I sent your staffers a photo of us together during some education committee meeting or something when you were the governor of the state. And, man, I looked at that and I went, oh, my God, I look like I'm 12 years old. Yeah, well, I didn't look much older either. (laughs) Mary calls me the boy governor when she sees those pictures. And uh, you're right, time does go fast. And the the challenges here in Maine are are transportation. You know, when you get a call from a veteran who has macular degeneration, who lives out in the, you know, has been a farmer uh, out in the county, whatever, who has three cars parked in his front yard but has difficult because we don't have a very strong, in my opinion, transportation network throughout the state. So it's very difficult, and I know that a lot of the service organizations, I know this, the uh, Adria Horn out of the Department of Veterans Services is looking who's, at trying who's to doing hook a, up. My understanding is she's doing a great job. Adria's amazing. We, we all are working towards the same goal, I'm pleased to say. Um, you know, right now we're getting into our centennial, the American Legion. We were founded in 1919, so we're starting to work on that. We have a great working relationship between military service organizations. One of the things we try to do, we have 172 posts throughout the state, is to try to get veterans to hook up with their posts, to find a fellow veteran who's willing to pick them up, sometimes as a last resort, because we don't want to be a chauffeur service or whatever. But if family can't take you, if one of the local transportation companies can't take you, call your local Legion post or any other post, VFW, DAV, whatever, and um, there's going to be somebody in there who's going to help you out. My father-in-law, who's a Korean War uh, Purple Heart recipient, I called him up one day because I had a Sabatis resident, that's where I live, who was blind, basically, with three cars. And my, my father-in-law said, no problem. Went and picked him up, took him to a it's a private empl- appointment uh, in the community, waited for him. They had coffee together, and they became friends. So it's all about one-to-one. You know, the, the transportation companies are great, uh, but sometimes they fluctuate with funding. It's always good to have plan A, B, C, D, E, F, G the, when, it, when uh, it takes care of veterans. Are the veterans organizations, VFW and Legion, the others, reaching out to younger veterans? I sometimes worry that these guys yeah. aren't connected to the uh, traditional well, Senator, organizations. I, I, 
Captain Post 202 in uh, Topsom, I think it is. Uh, it's named after, I think, an Iraqi war veteran, post 9-11 veteran. Yeah, I know I know that post. It's right across the street from where my kids Absolutely. used to play and soccer. Absolutely. It's young folks. I mean, I keep telling the veterans, guys like me are ready to, some of us are ready to pass the baton. Some of them you can't get out. You've got 93-year-old veterans that don't want to pass the baton but because they love taking care of veterans. But young veterans could pretty much have a post and go in there and develop programs that are geared towards, I mean, we have baseball, we have Boy State, we have scholarships, we have oratorical, scouting, shooting, junior law cadets, auxiliary sons, and of course, something that might be near and dear to you is the Legion Riders, big organization, oh, listen, a lot of money for the American I, I, I saw a bunch of those guys. Veterans. I was at the uh, Veterans uh, Cemetery in Caribou on Veterans Day. Mm-hmm. And there were a bunch of Legion riders there, but they all had their leathers on, but they didn't ride that day. It was about 15 degrees. Uh, yeah, and they're great guys, you know. Wonderful, people, wonderful guys. A lot of people think of motorcyclists, you know, the, the old 60s and 70s when I was a kid, or maybe 50s and 60s. You know, these guys are great guys they, and gals. And they were, and gals. If I can say gals, I don't know. Maybe yeah, I, you can. Oh, yeah, they okay. were, they were, they were, there were definitely women in the, in the group. Okay, so, and they do great, you know, I, I go to the Legion um, con- convention every year, and the amount of funds that's given towards children and youth, temporary financial assistance, uh, disaster release, you know, you know, Maine just went through a big storm here, and a lot of people don't realize if they have to struggle with the deductible on their home, they, and they're a veteran, they can get a hold of us, and we'll, we'll help them, you know, we'll help them if not, mostly cover the deductible so that they're not out of pocket, you know. Uh, but a lot of people don't know that, and getting the word out is so tough. There is an American Legion National Emergency Fund that, that's there to do that kind of stuff. And speaking of national emergencies, we also have an amateur radio club. A lot of people think, well, you just pick up the phone. Well, as we all know, you were the governor of the state. When those towers go down in a windstorm or whatever, for whatever reason, ice storm, um, amateur radio goes on. And um, that's a big thing, and a lot of people think that's old school. But when you lose your communications network, the amateur radio folks are left behind. And we do have an active group of folks that do that. So it's amazing. Deo, it's it's fabulous what you've done, and uh, I'm I know you well enough to know you're not going to be uh, you're not going to disappear. <laughs> you're going to be uh, still serving veterans, and and uh, I want to end with an invitation. If there are issues, if for example that appeals modernization program isn't working right, or if the uh, choice program isn't doing what it ought to do, uh, yeah. let us know. That's what you hired us. Well, I appreciate that, Governor. We're looking tough at the appeals modernization. We're also looking at these decision ready claims to Good. make sure. Uh, we're getting what we're being told we're getting. So hey. you never have a, a lack of folks that are willing to tell you how things are. <laughs> I've, I've noticed that. Maine people don't have any problem with that. Absolutely. Hey, that's... Anywhere, anytime. <laughs> Dale, thanks thanks so much for uh, for joining us. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, please pass my thanks on to the veterans. Thanks, man. See ya. Right, okay. Bye.